Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 104th video cast and 94th podcast for the week ending October 14th, 2021. We'll kick it off quickly with the media. We had quite a bit this week, and then we'll get right down to brass tacks. We've got a ton of stuff to cover this week, and we'll try to keep it quick. Uh, just a public announcement I'll be on CNA. Asia first tonight at 7.15 p.m. You can just Google it. They live stream in the U.S. They're like the BBC of Asia. They have huge viewership all over the uh, Asian region, broadcast out of Singapore. Uh, and we'll touch on some of the things I'll be covering tonight. But first, I'd like to thank Ken Bufa and uh, Ali Thompson and Stephanie Brooks for having me on Cheddar on Monday morning. Uh, we're going to cover this in detail because we went in, into some really intricate uh, uh, outlook on earnings and so far they're coming to pass. So that'll be a good setup for the end of the year here because Q3 earnings are going to tell us uh, a lot about guidance and what we have to look forward to. Then last night I was on uh, CGTN America thanks to Rochelle Akufo. Uh, and Ryan Gallagher for having me on. We'll go into that later in the call. I also want to thank Steve Goldstein for featuring our article from last week on Market Watch. I didn't realize until Friday I was on a plane and uh, I was just kind of going through Market Watch and I saw a picture of Buffett. I was, you know, obviously I'd click on that and then I realized it was my article. So uh, thanks to Steve for putting me in there. It was just basically talking about. Uh, uh, Charlie Munger doubling down on his uh, Alibaba bet. And then want to thank Lydia Moynihan over at the New York Post, my favorite paper uh, and uh, favorite business reporter uh, over there. And she included me in her article about KKR, George Roberts and Henry Kravis are uh, stepping down. And the fear is, will those shares uh, put pressure on the stock. And I said that um, uh, I don't think a stock sale will affect the price as it would be well planned. These are shrewd guys that have taken company after company to the public markets. They'd have large institutional buyers lined up. So that was just uh, speaking to that. Then uh, I want to thank Herb Lash and Tommy Wilkes for including me in their article on Friday. Um, and it was basically just looking forward to uh, the information vacuum uh, prior to earnings. Um, and the market's really looking forward to see how do earnings come out and more, more importantly, forward guidance uh, from earnings. And we're seeing those uh, coming, coming very well so far, and we'll get into it in detail. Also want to thank Devik Jane on Tuesday for including me in his article. Um, I said the market's mainly looking forward to earnings season, and that's really going to set the pace. Expectations are quite low for the third quarter uh, with Delta and everything else really setting the stage for companies to beat beyond expectations. And I, and I think we've seen the start of that with the banks. I uh, also want to thank um, Rajmi Bhatnagar uh, of the CMT Association. That's uh, chartered market technicians. They're like the uh, chartist version of the CFA uh, and they asked me to put an article in there 
We did the uh, similar article that we posted two weeks ago. So you guys are ahead of the curve. You've already seen this. Just top down, bottom up, how we think about the market. First, we look at kind of the barometers as they relate to the market. Is it a time to be uh, shedding risk or adding risk based on the general barometers? Are they lining up or diverging? <clears throat> then we go sector by sector. Once we find sectors that we think are overdone, uh, then we go company by company and look for high quality that, uh, that are beaten down and then look for reasons why or why not they make sense. Uh, so that's that. Want, uh, so thanks again uh, for including me in that. Now, moving on uh, to our Ask Me Anything questions. First question is from Calder Marshall. Hi, Tom. Really appreciate the weekly insights and tips. It's a great learning experience. I was wondering whether you could talk a bit more in the AMA section about why you're keen to rotate into stocks which benefit from a rising rate environment given you're expecting rate rises not to kick in until 2023. Doesn't that indicate to continue considering tech for a while longer until later in the year before rolling out into cyclicals, et cetera? Is it because everyone will want these summer swoon stocks in six months' time when rising rates are much closer on the horizon? and seem more present, by which time, of course, it's too late to get in. Thanks again. Looking forward to submitting more AMA questions. Best, Calder. Great question, Calder. Uh, the, uh, what you're conflating is the uh, short end and the long end of the curve. So we're already seeing uh, the longer end of the curve. If we look at the 10-year yield, uh, that's been rising since the Fed uh, press conference on September 22nd. Uh, from about 130 bips to 161. It's backed off. It's now in the 150s. Uh, but that is indicative, and that steepens the yield curve, while the short end of the curve is pinned to 0 to 25 basis points, the Fed funds rate, and that's not expected to rise until 2023. However, in a steepening yield curve, i.e. the ratio of short end, the two-year yield to the 10-year yield, uh, reopening and cyclical companies, i.e. banks, materials, industrials, uh, energy, um, um, and the like, tend to outperform, uh, relatively outperform in that type of environment. So the 10-year yield is already rising, the, and we expect it to move towards 2%, probably in fits and starts over the next few months, but it should get to 2% by Q1 when taper starts to get implemented. Now, um, we'll talk, there were some, the Fed minutes were saying November or December, but we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, so uh, you're, you're, um, you're right in one sense that the short end of the curve should stay pinned for another you know, year, year and a quarter, probably no rate rises until early 2023. Uh, but what we're looking at is the 10-year yield as it relates to getting exposure to those groups that took a backseat this summer, that, it, that sold off when the 10-year yield was compressed, when tech outperformed, now that the 10-year yield is rising in anticipation of taper. So taper will affect the longer end of the curve. So, so they're buying longer dated treasuries to hold long-term rates down, which also affects the mortgage market uh, and home buying. So as that starts to come off, particularly when the program is ended and there's no more purchases other than reinvestment, um, uh, you'll, you'll see that impact. So, so, so the first thing they're doing is 
letting go of the long end. The second thing they'll do is let go of the short end, meaning they'll start to raise the Fed funds rate uh, and that'll impact the short end of the curve. So uh, to answer your question, I'm looking more at the 10-year yield on the relative value play of reopening and cyclicals relative to tech. But you'll see in my article of the week, which we're going to go into, that uh, I'm saying not to, it's not an either or and not to completely discount tech. And the reason I say that is because a lot of people have, and you'll see in put option volume that they're overweight, expecting a catastrophe in tech, which is unlikely to, to, uh, to pass. And particularly as we saw in Taiwan Semiconductor earnings last night, were very, very strong. So I just think that in terms of return per dollar, I want to have a heavier weight in some of these lower weighted sectors in the S&P uh, versus an overweight in the most weighted sector in the S&P. Uh, so I hope that's helpful. Uh, and, and your question is correct. It's just what part of the curve are you looking at and what is the sequencing uh, for when each part of the curve uh, starts to move up? Uh, next question is from Ben, first name only. Hi, Tom. What's the very latest news and timing on the substance of a possible Iran deal? Uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the best things that we have in terms of information right now is that with oil prices elevated uh, and energy shortages around the world, uh, I think there's going to be immense pressure for the U.S. to remove sanctions and get some more supply on the market pretty quickly. Uh, you're seeing a meeting, I believe, today, Thursday. Uh, the EU coordinator of nuclear talks to visit Iran, uh, an Iranian foreign minister. That will take place on Thursday, so that's today. The talks which aim to bring Washington and Tehran back into compliance with the pact Aim, we're not out of compliance, but aimed at curbing the Iranian, uh, Iranian or uranium enrichment program were adjourned in June. Uh, so, so this guy from Europe is going over to kind of set the table. And, um, uh, you know, it had, there's no real change since the last time we mentioned it, whether it was last week or two weeks ago, that um, projections were there would be some movement in, in October and meetings in October. And with uh, energy prices where they are, my guess is you'll see it sooner than later. Now, does that change the three to five year outlook uh, to have exposure to energy? Of course, not. of course not. But if you're putting new money to work today, which is what I've said, uh, and I said explicitly, to focus on the things that are still left behind. You know, the upstreams have had monster runs here. Uh, the midstream and downstream, not as much. So some of the refiners are still cheap, although they've moved up in the last week, week and a half. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I'm getting so many calls from friends and people in the industry like, hey, you know, Wells Fargo is looking pretty good here. And, uh, you know, thinking about adding to my energy position, what do you think? And it's like, it's like they forget that 12 months has passed since I was pounding the table on them, you know, 80% lower and 100% lower in some cases. And now they're interested. And it's like, yeah, I still like them, but I don't like them as much. And then I start talking about Alibaba, which, by the way, is the Wells Fargo of this year uh, and the ExxonMobil of this year. And no one wants to talk about that. 
So they, they just go right back into, well, what do you think of City here? And what do you think of, uh, you know, EOG and all this stuff that, that's run up 100%? Yeah, I still generally like them, but I mean, I'm, I'm looking to trim, uh, not to, to add. I mean, we've had big runs in them. We want to keep exposure for the next three to five years, but we want to trim on big moves up and then re-add when you get the 15 and 10% pullbacks, which could be from an Iran meeting. So I wouldn't get too cute with it, but it's just, it's undeniable how opinion follows trend which we said was exactly what was going to happen last year uh, and we're saying the exact same thing i can tell you next year when um gosh i don't even know what will be the opportunity next year but when when baba's up 70 80 percent next year and we're trimming uh we're trimming and uh and everyone's saying well you said it's going to 400 yeah but it's run 90 percent in the last five months uh time to take some profits it's going to take a break and then we'll we'll reload on the way to 400 um but that's just the nature of the game so it's just fascinating to me how many calls i'm getting in the last couple of weeks about energy and banks and uh and when i talk about china and i think the bottom's in they change the subject and they want to talk about energy and banks it's it's, it's mind-boggling so uh but that's the game and that's where you make your money when you take these unpopular positions and high quality things uh, okay, second question from Ben. Uh, in light of Powell's assumed desire to serve another term when his current term expires in February, you mentioned several times that a 10% correction is unlikely before February. Uh, but a decision will likely be announced in coming weeks as the announcement for Yellen was on October 9th, 2013 and Powell on November 2nd, 2017. So if an announcement for Powell is made this month, Powell ha would have less of an incentive to forestall a 10% correction before February. Please comment. Uh, that's partially true. I think what's what's the most important aspect of it, which we covered on uh, Cheddar, which we'll go into in the article of the week, is that uh, as long as Powell's driving the bus, full employment is the priority. And um, you know, one of the things I have to talk about tonight on CNA is inflation. And you know, I, I think Jamie Dimon's prediction that the supply chain issues will be a non-issue in 2022 as we look out is accurate and that's probably you know 60 percent of the inflation will you know 50 60 percent may prove to be transitory and that doesn't mean that the prices go all the way back down to where they were it just means that they stop going up or stop going up at the same pace uh but um uh other areas like wages will continue to rise and stay sticky. So we are going to have permanent inflation. Wages don't go back down and demand for labor is not going to go down. Uh, you could argue technology is going to replace all labor. and yet, But that's like saying last year, don't buy Wells Fargo because DeFi is going to take over the banks. The, 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 the issue is these things take time, you know, robots and uh, automated driving and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then you'll still need people to fix the robots and put the robots together and yada, yada, yada. So, um, uh, but I think we are in an environment where labor is going to begin to benefit uh, more than capital on a relative basis as we are in a rising rate, slowly rising rate environment, which um, uh, is, a, is a modest headwind to certain assets, certainly those high multiple assets, you know, 25 times, 50 times sales, uh, people aren't going to bet on the future when the cost of capital has uh, a real cost. When money's free, malinvestment is widespread 
and you see a, a, an aggressive move into these 25, 10 times sales, uh, et cetera. And, and it's no coincidence in the last, you know, the last 10 years was the only time in history where you could get paid for buying stocks at greater than 10 times sales. Historically, that's been a guaranteed way to lose money. And what is consistent with that environment is that money was free. So money won't free, be free forever. Uh, as demand ca for capital goes up from the millennials, uh, that's a good thing. We'll have growth and we'll have rising rates. Uh, and in that environment, uh, demand for labor is strong. Uh, wages will continue to rise and the discount rate will go up on assets. So they'll, they'll grow more modestly, but I think consistently grow because we are uh, in the sweet spot of a secular bull driven by population growth, which ironically, I've been singing that narrative for a year. Tom Lee put out a great, uh, there's an article we're going to cover. He talked about a 17-year secular bull based on, based on the population. So a lot of smart guys are seeing, seeing this, and, um, and that's an opportunity moving forward. So, uh, so if an announcement were made this month, uh, Okay, so the, the issue is that Powell said we need a decent employment report before they moved. Uh, and the Fed minutes that everyone's saying, well, they're moving in November because of the Fed minutes. That was last September before the October, before we just got the jobs report, the September jobs report in the on the first Friday of October, uh, which was a monster miss. So he's got cover to push it off till December because he's not going to get another jobs report before November 2nd, which is the next meeting. So my guess is the announcement is uh, mid-December and whether they implement that minute or they wait until early 2023, uh, it's, you know, it's the most telegraphed surprise in the history of the markets. I mean, it, it really doesn't matter, number one. And number two, it doesn't mean we're gonna get an imminent 10% correction just because they start taper. It just means that as liquidity slowly comes out, and in the first eight months, if you're doing 15 billion a month uh, reduction, you're still going to have 660 billion dollars of liquidity from purchases and, and reinvestment over that first eight months. So, you know, logically, uh, you may not see the monster correction until after that balance sheet stabilizes and starts to come down after the eight months. But what I will say is this. Uh, the market's a discounting mechanism, and when it starts to sniff out that liquidity is being reduced, uh, it, it will be a more, a bumpier ride than what we saw in 2013, uh, 2021, okay? This was a one-off. This is what we expected at the beginning of the year, uh, no more than 3 to 5% corrections. We expected a handful of them. Uh, we, we do not have that expectation moving forward in 2014. We would be eagerly looking for five to ten percent plus corrections, uh, but to get into the 15, 20 percent range, you're going to need a recession, and that's nowhere near close on the horizon because you simply look at the yield curve. Credit is expanding, loan growth demand is is slowly expanding. We're at the beginning, near nearer to the beginning of the cycle versus an end of the cycle. We reset last year, and um, uh, so so those are the important factors. Uh, you know, whether you get a 10% correction in uh, January or February or June, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that the uh, climate is going to change in anticipation of a liquidity reduction. There's still ample liquidity, 
but you'll just get a little bit more volatility without that abundant liquidity there to always be forced into buying the dips. Uh, and capital will start to cost something, uh, so you'll get a lot less malinvestment and insane uh, valuations on, on certain pockets of the market. And other pockets are really super cheap. So, uh, um, okay, let's move on. Uh, China reports progress on U.S. disputes before Biden-Z summit. So that was a, a catalyst this week, obviously, with um, Biden and Z going to have their video meeting later in the year. Their people are working behind the doors to ease things up. They're working on the tariffs. They're working on bilateral trade. So the relationship is thought a bit. Uh, and things look, look pretty promising on that front. The other thing that was uh, promising is that uh, the uh, fine for that uh, driver company that starts with an M, whatever it was, was less than people an anticipated, which confirmed the idea that the bulk of the regulatory crackdown uh, is in the rear view mirror. You'll still get some here and there. Like this week, they said we're going after banks. Why are they going after banks? Because real estate is 20% of their GDP and they are, you know, a little worried uh, with what's going on with Evergrande and some of the other property developers. They poured so much into real estate over the years and now they're going to have to backstop the local bondholders, the private wealth management holders. They're going to have to nationalize some of the real estate assets. So I think their attention is going to go in that direction. Uh, they're going to make the banks the scapegoats for a, uh, um, a I would say, uh, imbalanced policy directive towards real estate over the last 10 years that now they have to sort out. Uh, but that said, uh, while there's trouble there, uh, I think there's going to be opportunity in those uh, tech companies and innovators that they've um, updated the rules. As a matter of fact, I had a longtime friend. It's kind of a Buffett guy, you know, uh, we, um, we uh, used to fly out to the uh, annual meeting together on his boss's plane. And, uh, you know, he sent me some, some information about how some of the regulation, the Chinese regulation was justified. Effectively, Jack Ma was a cowboy and here are the, you know, 10 things that he did and yada, yada, yada. And there's, there's some truth to that, but everything overshoots like a pendulum to one side. We saw that over the summer. And now it's starting to slowly come back, and that's where we see the opportunity is. Um, okay, so that was good. Uh, quote of the day, we, we just pulled up for this week. In the short run, the market's a voting machine, but in the long run, it's a weighing machine. And a good uh, stock that we wanted to follow up on, uh, for those of you who've been with us for a while, is Splunk. Uh, if you remember, we were buying it in here. Uh, and then into, it started to make its bottom and then into earnings, it collapsed. And on that call, we said we're, we're, we're buying a lot more. And now it's up 49.6% in the last, uh, since June, One, two, three, four, four and a half months. Uh, so, you know, this is an area where we start to trim. We think it's got more legs for sure over time. Uh, but, um, you know, we have some option exposure on this that's up quite, quite a multiple. So, so we want to take a little bit off the table, but we do see this pushing higher, dramatically higher to, over time and possibly to new highs. It's just a question of time value of money. So, um, so that's a good follow up there. Baba's up, uh, 21% now off of its lows, uh, 10 days ago. So that's good to see. And we think this pushes higher over time. Uh, Lockheed Martin is starting to move since mid-September. 
Uh, that's up about 10%. We think that's going to con continue to push higher. And now finally, the casinos, Las Vegas Sands and Wynn are starting to push higher. They're only up about 10% in the last week or so, but uh, they're starting to finally move. We think those are huge opportunities. And then Cigna, Cigna is, is one of our higher uh, weight, weighted positions, which we love. We actually added to uh, in recent days. It's just been going sideways for a week. Uh, UNH reported this morning that blowout earnings, top line, bottom line, they're a peer. Cigna reports on, uh, has a much lower multiple, nine times next year's earnings. Uh, they report on November 4th. We think the results are similar. We think the uh, medical costs from short-term medical costs from COVID, which is what sent the stock down, uh, are going to start to abate, and their guidance around those are, is going to be much more positive. And I think we could see a similar breakout uh, with Cigna that we saw with UNH this morning uh, is up huge. That's a lot of the gains in the Dow today. So that's, that's going to be a big deal uh, that we want to focus on. And any weakness we, we keep uh, incrementally adding to. We like that one a lot. Um, opinion, not advice. Go to hedgefundtips.com. Click on terms. Talk to your financial advisor, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, going through, let's see, we're at 20. Yeah, we'll take a little time for this. Um, quickly. You know, these, most of these gauges are still near areas where you want to be a buyer, not a seller. Um, as you look through these, there's opportunity. Uh, and these are, you know, these are ranges that, um, that it pays to buy, not sell. So we, ha we are not overextended. If anything, we're at the opposite. Healthcare, by the way, we covered last week. This is Cigna. There's a big weight there. I, I think that's just going to be a huge opportunity in, in coming weeks and months. Um, uh, bu, 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 bu. you know, so, so just going through all these, not much has changed in the last week. It's, it's in, at areas that it favors to be a net buyer versus a net seller. And we want to be in those areas that had summer swoons that are now starting to perk up. And we've covered a few of them here and many of them over the last few weeks. So, uh, you can go back to the old podcast and take a look. This is setting up beautifully the, uh, NYSE McClellan summation index, um, Etc. The the bets on catastrophic events have normalized. They've come come way down, uh, and the um, uh, all that premium was burned through as I anticipated it would be. Uh, catastrophic bets is usually like ten percent plus out of the money. Uh, we only got a five percent correction, so all that premium was collected by the dealers, and now everyone that's lost their money has stopped making those bets. Um, all right, so I think that covers that. Moving along, oh, money manager Thomas Lee sees 17-year bull market powered by millennials. It's the same thesis that we've been talking about over the last year. Um, and uh, JP Morgan's Diamond says supply chain hiccups will soon ease, points to extraordinary consumer demand. Uh, consumers are spending 20% more than they were before the pandemic. That's mind-boggling when you think about it. Uh, and global supply chain hiccups caused by coronavirus have put a damper on economic growth, but the problem will be a fleeting one, according to J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon. Uh, you know, there are a number of factors that relate to that um, with regard to supply chains and the short term, the, the part of inflation that could be transient. You've got port delays, container shortages, COVID disruptions, 
shortages in various components, raw materials, ingredients, labor cost pressures, trucks and driver shortages are a big factor. And then the, like you saw in Nike's earnings, you know, a whole factory shut down uh, for Nike in Vietnam uh, for a number of months over the summer. So that as COVID's rolling over, you're not going to get those type of factory shutdowns. And I'll, I'll bet on Jamie Dimon any day of the week. Uh, and I think he's absolutely right. We saw bank earnings today, uh, in the last two days blow the doors off, top line and bottom line across the board, City, Wells. Now, a lot of these stocks came into earnings hot, so expect them to take these little breathers. People are like, why, why are you know, banks uh, uh, not rallying after uh, having such good earnings? Uh, it's because they came in hot, so they'll take a couple-day breather and then they'll resume. Um, we already talked about Taiwan Semiconductor. Wells Fargo profit jumps 60%. A lot of this was reserve releases, which we talked about last July. Uh, and they're slowly seeing commercial uh, loan demand pick up. So that was good to see. They paid a bunch more fines. Uh, but it's just like Boeing at this point. Bad news every day and the stock keeps going up. So that's what we want to see with BABA. We want to see more bad news and the stock going up on that bad news. And then we know the bottom's in. Uh, for good, and uh, we can get back to fair value. Uh, JP Morgan, uh, Bank of America crushed it. Uh, Morgan Stanley uh, crushed it. Walgreens crushed it. Top and bottom line was one of our top picks at the beginning of the year for 2021. Um, and uh, okay, this was the article Fed officials saw taper starting mid November or mid December. That was before they got the September jobs report. So I think November becomes a punt. And if October and November jobs reports are good, they'll, they'll announce it in December for sure and implement maybe December more likely in Q1. And now on to the article of the week, the Walker Hayes fancy-like stock market and sentiment results. Uh, I thought this was a great one. Since the last Fed meeting and press conference on September 22nd, Chair Powell... Um, with, with Chair Powell, we've seen a move from the fancy, quote unquote, tech and growth high multiple stocks to the fancy like Applebee's on a date night stocks, <laughs> which are the reopening value cyclical lower multiple stocks. Uh, Walker Hayes outlines the shift in his recent country hit fancy like, uh, and I'll just play a little bit of here. So that's a great, uh, great set of lyrics, and it kind of gives you an idea of the theme of stocks that should should outperform as as rates creep up, ten-year uh, yield creeps up towards two percent. Here's a visual uh, for what that means. The relationship of value to growth looks like since that press conference. You've seen value outperform growth since September 22nd. Uh, just took off. Same with the ten-year yield. Uh, now they're backing off a little bit. And at, while this is happening, quickly, everyone got in the boat of shorting the hell out of tech. And I think that's a mistake. We're talking about relative outperformance, not zero sum either or. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, so as it relates to Cheddar with Ken Bufa, um, my general view was there's a ton of pessimism coming into Q3 earnings season. Inflation, supply chain, labor shortage, margins, peak growth, etc. 
I took a different tact in my interview with Ken and stuck with the data on earnings and multiples. Big hat tip to John Butters over at FactSet who publishes Earnings Insight for the key earnings data that I'm going to cover. Um, and, um, and that was that. So I laid out how the jobs report on Friday was a monster miss. Um, 194 versus 500, 7.7 million still unemployed versus 5.7 million pre-pandemic, employment rate at 4.8 versus 3.5 pre-pandemic, and the labor force is still down 4.9 million people. It's attributable to the labor force participation rate, which is down to 61.6 from 63.3. If that reversed, which doesn't look like it's going to be the case anytime soon, uh, we'd gain 4.3 million people back into the labor force. So uh, Chair Powell did say we, we got substantial further progress on inflation, I would say, and then some, uh, but we're not at substantial further progress on full employment. He would need to see a decent employment report to get that. We didn't get it on Friday. So uh, November 2nd, 3rd meeting, I think, is off the table because he won't see any new jobs data before then. Um, so, so taper probably becomes still a 2022 event early and the rate rises get pushed off to 2023. So long end of the curve in the next, you know, handful of months, short end of the curve in the next 12 to 14 months. Um, and we had anticipated on that, uh, interview that earnings and guidance should be strong with the steep yield curve, increasing loan demand, more credit reserve releases and a rising rate environment moving forward. This will set the tone for a positive earnings season. We got that in spades. Um, now, the key thing is estimates and guidance. So Q3 earnings are expected to grow 27.6%. Uh, however, if you look over the last five years, they've underestimated uh, growth by 8.4%, which would take uh, earnings growth from 27 to 35%. And it's less important what happened in the rear view mirror. The importance of that underestimation is that they have to take up forward guidance in concert with such big beats. And if you look at the last five quarters, they've underestimated earnings by 19.1%, which means not only would we not see 27%, uh, or 35%, we might even see over 40% earnings growth as a possibility. And in that case, our, our base case that estimates are too low at $220 for 2020 and more likely going to creep towards $230 for 2022 uh, are warranted. And that's in the face of uh, margin pressures and all of that stuff. And when everyone talks about margins and input costs increasing, you have to put it in context, okay? The margins um, for uh, the last five years, uh, net profit margin for the last five year average was 10.9%. It, it's still gonna come in, even with the supply chain issues, margins are still gonna come in 12.1% this quarter, albeit that's down from a record all-time high of 13.1% last quarter, it's still well above the five-year five average. So a lot of this noise about margin compression uh, and peak growth, peak growth rate, yes, but peak growth is, uh, is, is unfounded. Uh, we're still going to grow GDP. You know, this year, again, we'll be close to the 6% that we had projected. Next year is uh, going to be 4.1%. And that's a lot of the Q3 stuff got pushed forward. Otherwise, we probably would have been at six and a half, seven percent, if not for Delta. And uh, and that will uh, back end load into 
into 2022 with north of 4%, which is well above tr historic trend and, and a growth environment, uh, an early cycle type of growth, which is good to see. Uh, moving back up, let's see if I missed anything. Also, as the earnings go up from 220 to 230, that's going to bring the current multiple, the forward multiple is 20.5. That compares to the five-year average of 18.3. But as you take the E part of the equation up, that multiple is going to come down closer in line to the five-year average and make the market look more reasonable. Also, if you look at consensus 12-month price target for the S&P 500 is 50.51. Uh, that's 14.8% uh, above last week's close. Uh, that is realistic given that the um, earnings growth is expected to be 10%, and that's before estimates go up. So let's call it, you know, could be 12, 13, 14%, and that's uh, certainly a realistic price target over the next 12 months. And like 2013, which grew over 30% anticipation, anticipating taper, and 2014, which grew mid-teens uh, digesting taper, uh, I think we could see a similar situation. Uh, maybe we finish out this year. You know, we had, our base case had been mid-teens. Maybe we finish out closer to 20%, uh, depending how, t how big tech does. And, uh, and next year is, is a little bit more modest than that. You know, 12 to 15% in that, in that range is, is, uh, is a reasonable expectation. But under the surface, there will be monster opportunities to, to uh, dramatically outperform that. Um, Okay, so we covered my, um, oh, the other thing is uh, guidance. Uh, even pre-earnings season, about uh, 103 companies issued guidance for Q3. 54%, 56 out of 103 uh, issued positive guidance. So 54% is well above the five-year average of 39% increase in guidance. So where this pessimism came from, it's, it's backward-looking related to Delta, related to the supply chain bottlenecks, related to all the things that already happened that are getting better. And the market, uh, where you make your money in the market is less bad. Uh, you don't make money when things are good. You make money when things get less bad. That's, that's where all the money is made, when they're horrible and they get less horrible and everyone still thinks they're horrible is where the, where the greatest money is made. Um, okay. So that's that. The other thing is uh, Sentiment Trader put this out, and I, I made this note. The one thing I'd be cautious about is that while we believe value and cyclicals will outperform on a relative basis to tech and growth as the 10-year climbs towards 2%, it's not a zero-sum game. There'll be plenty of individual tech stocks, likely more reasonably valued variety that do well during this period as well. Uh, the positioning suggests that it will not be either or and that pockets of tech that are out of favor can get bid as well. We saw an example with Splunk. Uh, we saw it recently over the summer with Netflix. Uh, now that most are pessimistic on the group, uh, and this is from sentiment trader, option traders are betting on tech trouble. The aggregated put call ratio among NASDAQ 100 members is the highest it's been in over a year. And he points to those points in time where it got this elevated and it was usually the bottom for the NASDAQ 100. And I could certainly see that happening as well with uh, kind of uh, an everything rally, uh, which Tom Lee's been talking about into the year end with cyclicals and, um, and value uh, having relative outperformance in the everything rally. The other thing to keep in mind, M2 money supply is up 35% since January 2020 pre-pandemic. 
until the balance sheet goes flat sometimes eight, sometime eight months after the beginning of taper it'll be hard to find material distress in the u.s and you can see this hockey stick here in the m2 money supply uh, this is one reason we've been so aggressive with alibaba in recent weeks it's now up 21 percent off the lows put in last week we believe this will continue to work higher in coming months and represents one of the true values available in public securities today on Wednesday night, last night, I was on CGTN America talking about the Chinese economy with Rochelle Akufo. Always enjoy being on with Rochelle. Thanks to Ryan Gallagher as well for booking me. And then uh, exports. Uh, uh, so, so what happened in China is uh, exports beat 28% versus 21. Imports missed 17.6 uh, versus 20%. And uh, China's trade surplus with the U.S. rose to a monthly record high of $42 billion. Uh, Chinese imports of soybeans fell 30%. Uh, their crude oil purchases dropped uh, 15%. And uh, their coal and natural gas imports rose. Uh, she asked, why, why, why were their exports so good and their imports so good and the key reason that exports were good and imports were not is the chinese government started tightening policy early this year the fiscal and monetary policy far before the pandemic was contained we warned about that both on cgtn and in our weekly call uh, and in contrast the developed world has continued to be accommodative through much of the year uh, M2 money supply up 32, 35% since uh, January 2020. China's nowhere close. The other thing that came up on the, on the interview last night is the nature of the stimulus. So they put all of their stimulus into real estate, uh, infrastructure, uh, and hard assets, whereas the developed world put it all in the consumer pockets. So the demand for products has been very, very strong as the consumer's balance sheets are better than they've ever been. Uh, so that's part of the reason why the developed world economy has been more steady uh, and more consistent and why China has been slowing so aggressively over the summer uh, and into the fall. Um, so that's the bad news. The good news is that uh, it's going to cause the Chinese to do an about face. So they cut the reserve requirement ratio for banks in July uh, 50 basis points that uh, made available that $157 billion to small businesses for lending, but their economic data on a lagged basis, because everything happens on a six to nine month lag, they started tightening early this year. So now they're paying the piper. Um, so they're going to have to do another 50 basis points cut in that reserve requirement ratio. That's going to be stimulative. And I think they're going to have to lower policy rates as well, uh, which would be hugely stimulative uh, and very, very good for, for their equities. So uh, I would expect to see the reserve requirement ratio in October or November, and maybe the policy rate, uh, you know, maybe before the end of the year. And that would be a surprise uh, that the market's not expecting and would be very, very bullish given how much their market is dipped. So, um, so that's, that's the story there. And looking at sentiment data, we saw retail got very bullish this week. It jumped from 25 to 37.9. It's not an extreme, but confidence is returning. They're still 31% bearish. Uh, fear and greed is still subdued here. It's at 32. That's closer to where you want to be a buyer versus a seller. So there's fear still in the market on that basis. And that's a stronger gauge because it measures seven or eight different uh, metrics into one number. 
I found that to be much more useful, but it's good to, to look at a, a compilation and just see where things converge and diverge. And then finally is the active investment managers. Uh, let's see if we got an update on this. My guess is they chased a little bit up this week. Um, let's see. Because it publishes on Thursday. No, they're at 64.4% uh, uh, equity exposure, which means, you know, on a day like this, uh, with the Dow up 500 points, they're going to have to chase like crazy into year end. Uh, and, uh, and that's what they're doing. So we're going to see that number shoot right up. And that's a good setup. Uh, we'll see a similar situation, I think, in the Chinese stocks with shorts unwinding, etc. So, um, so that's that economic data this week. Uh, jolts came in lower than expected. Uh, so I think we're going to see better jobs reports uh, in the first week of November and then the first week of December. People are probably taking up those jobs now that Delta is rolling over and benefits are over. <laughs> for the most part, although some states are doing things on the side, but nonetheless, the wholesale is has gotten um, uh, is in a better situation for people to go back to work. CPI came in a little bit hot, but that was uh, cooled down by the PPI numbers came in lighter than expected this morning. Uh, producer price in, uh, index and input costs, so that that was good to see because all we've been seeing is hot inflation numbers to see the PPI miss expectations was a good thing. The jobs uh, continuing claims was very good today, beat expectations. We haven't seen that much in the last four months. So I think with the benefits rolling off, with Delta rolling off, uh, we are going to see good jobs reports, but not before the November meeting. Uh, and those are the core economic data. Earnings just green across the board. Uh, JP Morgan, top line, bottom line. BlackRock, top line, bottom line. Delta, we talked about airlines the last few weeks, top line, bottom line. Uh, and then let's see this morning. Uh, Taiwan Semiconductor had good earnings. United Health blew the doors off, top line, bottom line. We think Cigna is going to be a repeat of that as the medical cost ratio goes down. That was a summer thing with Delta. Uh, Bank of America crushed it. Uh, Wells Fargo, top line, bottom line beats, Morgan Stanley, Citigroup, across the board. Earnings are better than expected. All the noise, just put that aside. It will affect some companies discreetly, but people are overestimating because all the consumer products companies have raised their prices and they're going to pass through and, and people are going to be shocked how they're, most of them that are ahead of the curve are retaining their margins, if not increasing margins on the price increases. So, uh, so good news on the earnings front. Unusual activity, we just saw more in BABA, 2,900 contracts for the March 190 calls and 4,000 for the February 190 calls. So smart money's coming in. This is not your grandma next door. And with that said, uh, we're going to wrap it up. I'll be on CNA tonight. Tune in if you're free. Uh, and in the meantime, we'll be back next week, same time, same place. Make it a great one.